Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. All right. If you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. So the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23. And I'm glad that you're here today. If you're visiting, welcome. If you're a guest here today, welcome. If you're joining us online, um, welcome. If this is your home church, this is where you serve, this is where you steward your gifts, I'm, I welcome you as well. Thank you. We, we are blessed to be here together. Take your Bibles, Jeremiah 23. Uh, if, <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you, but I want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you, open the Bible, turn it on, Jeremiah chapter 3. While you're finding that, let me just mention one more thing. After the service this morning, you can, you can find the Steens out in the gathering area. They'll be there. There's um, opportunities for you to talk to them. Also, there's another place you can go and you can get some, uh, some questions and some answers uh, having to do with uh, our new uh, building program and where we're headed. So Making Room is that uh, project. Uh, Church Growth Services, who we've asked to help us, are getting information. Uh, thank you so much for sharing with them the things that our congregation is saying to them, we're getting that back uh, soon in a report so that we can hear what, what you have said as we uh, think about uh, the next steps of moving forward. But if you have some questions, uh, many of those questions can be answered uh, with a document that we have out front uh, that will allow you to um, get, you know, get that in your hand. There'll be some people standing there that can also answer some questions, so I encourage you to do that. Also, one more thing. I'm so grateful for those who uh, this last week um, helped to transform uh, Summit Church, the building, uh, into a, a Christmas, uh, you know, with Christmas decorations. And uh, so Carrie Young and Hannah Minard and Kara Frost all met regularly and they recruited a team of people and there was a, a good group of people that were here for many hours uh, one day last week. And I'm so grateful for uh, the work that they have done to, to make the place where we meet, uh, where we worship, beautiful. Would you thank them? <clears throat> and then finally, um, the, the, the platform area is something that changes uh, from time to time and changes seasonally. And uh, Pastor Caleb is the one who um, runs point on all that, and he also recruits people to put things together. And um, between, uh, between those two groups, um, they hit me up at Christmas time for lots of money. Um, but what I'm amazed at is um, what they call lots of money is there's stuff, the secret is some of this stuff that these people do, it's held together with, with spit and chewing gum. I just got to tell you, um, when the carpenters come in and they take a look at it, they go, how in the world do you make so much stuff look so good with so little? And, um, 
but they really do, and they're creative. And uh, so thank you, uh, Pastor Caleb and the team that worked on uh, the platform and the lights and all that. Uh, it helps to make um, our environment um, a place where we can together worship God. And let me just say this. I know that some of you work really hard in your own homes, and I just feel like um, whatever effort we put into God's house is worth it. This is a place to worship him, yeah. Um, that was meager, but. There's a passage of scripture that talks about people living in their fine paneled housing, but have neglected the house of God. And I know that everything you see right here someday is hay, straw, and stubble, and is someday gonna be consumed, and it's not gonna be worth a thing. But until then, um, it says something about the God we serve by how well we steward uh, the resources that he gives us. And so thank you for that. I suppose that we are all born this way. We come into this world thinking that we're the masters of our own lives. As newborn babies, all we know is us. All we feel is what we feel. We grow accustomed to having People wait on us, hand and foot, feed us, change our poopy pants, put clothes on us, hold us. It's a pretty good gig. You should hold on to it as long as you can. In essence, everyone in our circle of the world is our servant. They keep us warm. They keep us fed. They keep us clothed, keep us safe. They keep us loved. And we are the center of our own world, and others swirl around us taking care of our every need. And if they didn't, um, we wouldn't fare well. But we grow up, and we discover quickly that there are other powers over us that we have to learn to submit to if we want a decent quality of life. We discover, and sometimes it takes too long, that the world doesn't spin around the axis of us. And we have to develop a new paradigm. A paradigm that says, I have to, I have to die a little to live a little. I, I need to consider others and not just myself. I need to realize that the world does not exist to serve me, but rather I exist to also serve others. Now watch this. The question of our eternal destiny, I think, is decided by a similar process. Discovering that not only is there someone else in this world that we need to care for, but we began to realize that in our own strength, if it was in our own strength that we were living this life that we would be losing, we need to, dis we, we need to discover that our eternal destiny, there's a greater power than ourselves at play. We need to realize that there's a God and that I'm not God. Rather, I was created on purpose the purpose of serving him, pleasing him, loving him. That's a decision that every human being has to make. Will I submit to God? Or will I decide to continue to be my own God? Only a fool chooses to be his own God or to be her own God. Only a fool chooses another human being or some part of nature, um, some part of creation to be their God. So, I saw this article um, 
recently, I read it, it was from some time ago, Oprah Winfrey reportedly said this to the New York Times Magazine, June of 1989. She, she said this about Shirley MacLaine. She said, I keep telling Shirley MacLaine, you can't go around telling people you are God. That's a very difficult concept to accept. You're not God. Well, look, if Oprah Winfrey can get it, I think you and I can get it too. You ain't God, and you ain't either. <laughs> There's only one true, living, all-powerful God. His name is Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, whose anointing death and resurrection we celebrate at Easter, and whose ever-present help in times of trouble is what we celebrate every day. So watch this, like it or not, believe it or not, accept it or not, the reality of Christ coming to this world forces us to deal with an important issue. And that issue is this. We either accept King Jesus and who he is, or we reject his kingship. We usurp his place as ruler over our lives by insisting that we alone are the king. In this series of messages during Advent and leading up to Christmas, we're entitled this series, Behold the King. And I want you to see King Jesus and so from the prophet Jeremiah today, we're going to see how Jesus, who Jesus was, was prophesied long before he came. And even when he came, the prediction of that, the prophecy of that, and when, when the promise was delivered, we already uh, heard that song this morning about a, a, a manger throne. To realize this fact that in that manger, in that cradle, in that crib, was Christ the Lord. He was the king, the king. Behold your king. I want you to read this with me in Jeremiah chapter 23. The Bible teaches us that we have to make a choice about Christ as king. You'll either submit to him or you won't. Now, just a, a bit of lead information. The book of Jeremiah is set during a turbulent time in Babylonian, in, in, in Israel history. When Babylonian twice had invaded Judah and they destroyed Jerusalem and its temple and, and they deported large numbers of Judeans. Much of the blame for that tragic events were because of, of Judah's failed kings, their leaders, their leadership. Those, those who were appointed as kings, they were failing the people. In fact, immediately before our passage here in, in uh, Jeremiah 23, if you look at Jeremiah 22, you will see how God condemns three prior kings of Judah. They had governed unjustly. They had exploited people. And so now, here in chapter 23, in the beginning verses, it continues those reflections on the future of the Davidic monarchy. Verses 1 through 4 promise to remove the current failed leaders and replace them with better ones. And then look at verse five and six. It looks forward to the appearance of a new righteous king. Behold your king. Jeremiah 23, verse five. The days are coming. This is coming. No matter what happened in the past, there's days that are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name 
by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Behold your king. He's coming. The days are coming. And so Jeremiah is prophesying about this one who is to come, who is going to be king. Each prophet seemed to look across this period of darkness, and, and they were looking to a, to a new day. They were talking about the things that had happened that were difficult, that the people knew about and were dealing with. And by the way, I love that about God's word. I love that about the fact that, that we have a, a book of hope. We have, a, we have a Christ of hope. We have a king of hope. The hope of a better tomorrow. The days are coming. A hope of a better tomorrow. A hope of a better life. The hope of a kingdom to come. That should encourage your hearts this morning. This isn't all there's going to be. Things are going to get better. <laughs> the day's coming. The day's coming. Now watch what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, a new king will come, and he will be a righteous branch from David. But the present kings, they were also descendants of David. And they were unrighteous, and they were corrupt. corrupt. In fact, if <laughs> the, the, the kingship, they, they were placed in, in a place where they could make a difference, and yet because of their uh, disobedience to God, ignoring who God was, because they, they didn't fear or, or revere God, they, they did their own thing. But in the Davidic monarchy, um, they, they reigned. They were a part of the king that kings that were ruling. When you think about a, an efficient form of government, a monarchy, a monarchy may be one of the most efficient forms of government. In fact, a democracy tends to be inefficient. Do I need to explain that to you? Okay, do you have an example of that in your mind? Can you think of that? All right. So a monarchy may be the most efficient form of government. The only problem with monarchy is the monarch. Right? So if, if he's an income poop, the whole place is in trouble. If the king was filled with the Holy Spirit and righteousness, it is efficient. The problem is that very few leaders reign with the people's needs as their primary concern. Do I need to paint a picture of that to you? Most leaders reign with the love of luxury. They bask in the position and they use it for self-interest. This last week, Representative George Santos, a Republican from New York, was voted out of office for using political funds for personal use. His fellow members of Congress voted to expel him from the House of Representatives on December 1st, 2023, following the release of a scathing House ethics report in mid-November about Santos. It's probably good that they don't extend that too far, or it could cause quite an upset. What is astounding to me is that we call this public service. Public service. And there are those that are called and are doing that work faithfully, and there's many who aren't. That's the problem with a monarchy. It, it's the monarch. If, if, if you serve with a good king, then you're blessed. If you serve with a poor king, then indeed there are struggles that you have. 
Greed is a primary destroyer of any form of government. But Jeremiah prophesies that a new king is going to come, a righteous king. His name will be called Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord who is our righteousness. Now, make no mistake about this prophetic announcement. It's a prophecy of the second coming of Jesus Christ. His name will be called Jehovah Sidkenu. It, it's, it's th- this name Jesus in the Greek is a, is a form of Joshua. It's a contraction of Joshua and Shua. Jehovah or Yahweh is the name of the eternal personal God revealed in the Old Testament. When God spoke, remember, so when God spoke to Moses um, from the burning bush, and Moses looks at, at that whole situation, Moses is, is this leader that God is raising up, and he said, listen, uh, I'm going to go back to Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him what? And God said, you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and, and Moses, you know, is talking to God through the bush. He goes, and I mean, I, this is going to be a tough sell. He's not going to want to let all his free labor go. What am I going to do? And he said, who, who should I say told me to say this? And he said, he heard the word. He, you know, God spoke to him from the burning bush. He says, you tell him that I am sent him, the I am that I am, the the, the, one, the, the one true God. He, so, so there's this whole idea of, of, of the importance of this name. Moses said, you know, I'm going to go, but who sent me? I am sent me. It's a name by which God has declared, <coughs> excuse me, what he wants us to know about his person, about his character about his power. He's the all-sufficient one. I want you to see these names for God. There's some names for God that you need to know. Thank you for out, sir. Here's some names from God that you need to know. One is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. (laughs) He is my provider. Jehovah Rapha, <clears throat> it's, it's our healer God. It, he, he's, he's a banner over us. He's our protection, our healer. Jehovah Shalom is our peace. I love this name, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. No matter what you're going through, the Lord is there. It, it, it could be difficult. Maybe, you know, it, there may be a day when it feels like there isn't peace. It may be a day when your needs are, are, you're struggling to have them met. There may be a day when you face a, a difficult um, report from, from a medical exam. But Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. You are not alone. Jehovah Shua literally means the Lord is our salvation. He has saved me. Um, and then this Jehovah Sidkenu, which literally means he is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. And notice this righteousness is, is the act of, of being or doing right. Even, even our innate concepts, we know what is, that right is good and wrong is bad. It's more desirable to be right, and so we seek to be right. And soon enough, we also discover that being right isn't always easy, is it? It's not always easy. 
the truth is not always easy to tell. Sometimes <clears throat> there's a tendency to want to quit being right. And sometimes even when we try to be right, we're wrong. There was a song written many years ago. Many people have recorded it. The song was originally written for the group, The Emotions. <clears throat> but it's also been recorded by um, Luther Ingram, recorded by the group The Faces. Millie Jackson received two Grammy Award nominations with this song. Barbara Mandrell, her version topped the U.S. country charts. Rod Stewart sang this song. It rose in the charts. charts. Here's what that song, uh, the title of the song is, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. Here's what the song says. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. If being right means being without you, I'd rather live a wrongdoing life. The song is about an adulterous love affair told from the point of view of either the mistress or the cheating spouse, depending on the gender of the performer. Regardless, both parties involved express their desire to maintain the affair while at the same time acknowledging that the relationship is wrong according to conventional moral standards. And yet, <clears throat> even the world knows about some measure of right, righteousness, things that are right, things that are wrong. God made us with a unique mechanism for knowing what is right and what is wrong. Um, it's called your conscience. By the way, Reverend Conscience is the best preacher I've ever heard. I have a difficulty living with myself when I'm wrong. I feel guilty and miserable. That's God's gift to us. But today, in many places, the world does not value righteousness. And yet, Jeremiah is saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to send you uh, a king, and he is our righteousness. But the world doesn't value righteousness. We listen to people who tell us what we did was right under the circumstances, or, or people do wrong things, and then they use drugs or alcohol to... Um, somehow convince themselves that it's acceptable. The endeavor of unrighteousness is to remove all rules and criteria of wrong or right or the fact that there's abs no absolutes, <clears throat> everything's relative, depends entirely on the situation, but in that mentality comes a life without contentment and no purpose and no value. It's situational ethics. And the truth is, instead of freedom, we're conditioned to submit, to submit to an evil dictator, the Antichrist, our own selfish desires. And into this world, Jeremiah says, I'm going to send you a king, a king of righteousness. Good news, good news for us. Jesus Christ is coming. He is a righteous king. This promise in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6 is one of those places in the Old Testament that explicitly points to the coming of, of, of Jesus. A righteous branch will come out of the line of David. It's a picture of who Jesus would come, that Jesus would come from the line of David and, and that he would reign and king. And, and there's this um, an interesting picture here. God promises a new king in the Davidic line, referring to uh, metaphorically as a, as a branch. He said there's this branch that's going to come out of um, this... Um, this family line. There's, in another place that we'll look in just a minute, it talks about this, this slender root that comes from the stump of Jesse. Um, 
The arboreal metaphor here in Jeremiah 23 is influenced by Isaiah 11. Um, and we're going to take a look at this whole idea of, of an arborer, uh, a branch, uh, a slender uh, root. It's, it's interesting. I have a, <clears throat> my son-in-law has an arborist degree from Michigan State University. And so I, I, I'm, I can learn from him about um, how to, um, you know, how things grow. And, and there's this picture of this branch or this shoot. What's interesting is, um, you know, he's, he's working on tree health. Meanwhile, I think his dad works on cutting trees down. <clears throat> and um, I'm not sure. There's a, there, I think there's a scam going on here. One guy's planting, one guy's cutting. There's something going on there. Um, I do think they work together. So, but look, look at what he says. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. His roots, a branch, will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And, and this text, it emphasizes that new king's reign will be characterized by, by justice and righteousness. There's a king coming. Even though there have been other kings from David's line, and David was a man after God's own heart, and indeed, they wouldn't fail to have someone on, from the line of David um, you know, in the kingdom, but indeed there were people that, that were not righteous. They were not living for God, and so there was judgment. But he's saying in the middle of that dark, dark time, there's one coming. Notice in, in Isaiah 11, he goes on, he says, I will not judge. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. See this? But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And that's exactly what's repeated here in Jeremiah 23. A king who reigns with wisdom. A king who does what is just and right. That describes what's required, by the way, for an equitable social order. In order to have a, a, an equitable social order, everyone has access to the resources needed to thrive. Members of socially vulnerable classes are protected from exploitation. Kings are responsible for maintaining such social order. And that's been made clear here through the prophet Jeremiah. But those leaders had failed. But now, there's this one calling, called Jehovah Sikhanu. The Lord is our righteousness. Several decades later, Zechariah remembers Je Jeremiah's promise, and he said in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. There it is again, the branch. And in Zechariah 6, he announces the coming of God's servant, named Branch, who would rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is a man whose name is the Branch. There's this branch that is coming from the stump of Jesse in the line of David. There's this one who is a king of righteousness. And he will build the temple of the Lord. He will be clothed with majesty. He will sit on his throne, and he will be a priest in his throne. Behold your king. Behold your king. These texts express hope 
that Zerubbabel, the descendant of David, and other post-exilic governor, governors would become kings, restore the Judean monarchy, but those things never happened. For another 200 years, Judah remained a part of the Persian Empire. The hopes of the leaders expressed in Jeremiah are seldom, by the way, are seldom fulfilled with real humans. If you're waiting for a world, if you're waiting for a next election to think that somehow, if you're waiting for a certain candidate or someone else to say, listen, now righteousness in the land is going to, to happen, very seldom does that happen. Now that doesn't mean that wherever you're at, you oughtn't to be you know, planted for righteousness and doing what is right and caring for what is right. But the hope is here is not in what human beings can do. The hope is in Christ, this King who is our righteousness. Even, if, even in our own historical movement, we face an acute crisis of corrupt and unjust government worldwide. And we reflect on Jeremiah's words on Christ, the King of righteousness, our perpetual, you know, continual uh, disappointment in our leaders only increases our longing to the promised rule of God and a truly transformed world. And in the meantime here, I want to encourage you to continue to strive, however imperfectly, to strive to achieve justice in this world on this side of the, the um, you know, God's plan, where we're at. Wise and equitable human leadership is essential to this endeavor. And so you have a calling on your life to, to be righteous, to, <clears throat> to live the way God wants you to live, and, and yet to not put your hope in, in, in human beings. Our hope is in Christ. Jeremiah 23 offers a model for, for evaluating leaders who fall short of the standard. And, 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 and here's, here's the danger that happens to many of us in these situations. We're challenged not to succumb to cynicism. So many times in the world today, we become cynics of those around us. And, and sometimes cynicism leads to, to potential uh, solutions, and other times it, it leads to potential disappointment and discouragement to the point where you quit and you say, listen, if I can't beat them, join them. But it challenges us not to become cynical, and it challenges us to maintain hope for the possibility of leaders who will execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so we pray for that. We, if you have opportunities to lead, you lead. You, 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 in the areas that you can influence and you're responsible for. Too often it's easy to look at the grand or broad scope and say, listen, you know, all this is going wrong. What about where you're leading? I just want to encourage even fathers and moms, or if you're a single dad or a single mom, if you're parenting kids, that you have an opportunity there to establish righteousness in your home and in your leadership there. That's a place God's called you. If you're a teacher in a school, if you're a leader in the workplace, if, if you're a leader in the neighborhood, a leader in community, if you, have, if, you have, if you have political office and you have influence, righteousness, you, you, you have opportunities to influence the world around you. Um, you can, you, I want you to see this. Here's something that you can do, and I'm going to close here in just a minute. And I think this kind of goes along with our James series <clears throat> um, righteousness is recorded with works. So reign wisely. Do what is just. Jesus is our standard. What would Jesus do? Do that. Righteousness is recorded with works, but righteousness is also received by faith. And I want you to see this. Being righteous, being in Christ, Jesus is our standard. Be like 
Jesus says, we're declared righteous through faith in God's grace. So we depend on faith in Jesus Christ for our righteous standing before him. I love that song that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Paul spoke of the righteousness that he had sought to attain through the works of the law and how gladly he exchanged that for the truth that righteousness that he had was discovered through Christ Jesus. So you have the choice of standing before God clothed in your own righteousness and for sure you will fail or you can stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as is imputed to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to righteousness, <laughs> there's this king that is being prophesied, this king. Behold your king, this king of righteousness. And when it comes to how do you work that out, righteousness is recorded with works. It is received by faith. Behold your king. Uh, I'm going to have the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in our last song. Behold your king. Jeremiah looked at a group of people who were living in a day when if they looked around and they analyzed where they were at, they could tend to lose hope. He looked at them and he said, but there's a day coming. There's a righteous king who will rule with justice and mercy. It's righteousness altogether. <clears throat> There's a day coming, folks, when this baby born in a manger throne is going to come back not wrapped in swaddling clothes, but wrapped in the robes of a king. Not riding a donkey um, into a city celebration, but he'll come riding a horse and a sword will be drawn. He's not coming merely to serve the world, but there will be no one in the world that will acknowledge that he's not the king. He is the king. Behold your king. And there's a day coming when what you see that is wrong will be made right. If today in this world you are demanding fairness and rightness, you're going to be disappointed. But there's a day coming. There's, there's pain, there's hurt, there's misery in this world. Things are not as they could be or should be. Now, you do your part as much as it's up to you. you. You do everything you can do to live right. Because the righteousness that you have, he's given to you, and he, you make a difference. Don't you, don't you quit thinking that you can make a difference. Don't you give up. Don't you hide up somehow and say, listen, I'm just going to wait for heaven. I'm going to wait for what's coming, and then, and then it'll be good. Don't you start that now. But I'm telling you, there's a day coming when wrong will be made right.
And God, the, the righteous judge of us all and the righteous judge of this world will set things straight. There's a place, there's a time coming. And friend, you don't want to miss that. And the truth of the matter is, it may be soon. It may be soon. So, here's a message of hope. But it's a message of promise. But it's also a message that you have to deal with. What will you do with this king of righteousness? So, Lord, help us today. Help us today to behold the king. To see who you are. To acknowledge who you are. To trust you. Come, long expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child, and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy precious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.